Welcome to the Biz Behind Beauty, the podcast that aims to educate and inspire barbershop and salon owners who are new to the game or want to jump in. I'm your host, Kellyanne Riley. Joining me today is Michael Levine, owner of Space, Caramel, and the Vancouver Hairdressing Academy in Vancouver, BC. In this episode, we'll be talking multiple salon ownership and when to call it quits. Michael, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. I've been following you now for about four years on Facebook. And the one thing that really drew me to you is the fact that you were incredibly real and candid about salon life, and not just for the owners, but for the stylist too. I had asked you a question a long time ago via DM, and you made a video post in reply that really resonated with me. Today, I'd really like to delve into your journey as a salon owner, but not just the picture-perfect parts. I'd like to shed some light on the real-life struggles and what the signals are to calling it quits. Thank you so much for having me, Kelly. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, like from the beginning of hairdressing or... <laughs> just whatever. What is, what's, your, what's your elevator pitch that you tell people? Who is Michael Levine? Oh, boy. Um... You know what? I define myself as a hairdresser. It's a weird thing. When I write my bio, I always write hairdresser first and I write it before parent and I I write it before husband. Mm -hmm. Um, I write it before anything else. I define myself. I truly define, I am defined by what I do, which is not usually what people want to do, but I found myself through hairdressing. Mm -hmm. I became me through hairdressing and I absolutely embrace that my work is me. Um, yeah, so it, it was becoming like finding hairdressing and finding, um, I basically lived every childhood dream through hairdressing. Amazing. Yeah, so it's, I absolutely embrace that I'm a hairdresser and that's how I define myself. But I got into the industry, you know, for, I don't want to say the wrong reasons, but for uneducated, ill-informed reasons, like most of us, mm-hmm. like we got into the industry because we thought it'd be fun. I got into the industry to meet girls. And <laughs> and really that was that was the fact. I was in that, I was in a hair salon. I used to, I was always obsessed with my hair. And I was in the salon. I would take a bus down uh like an hour to go get my hair done. And I would just hang around the salon all the time, even if I wasn't getting my hair done. And I just realized one day this kind of light bulb went on and that all these pretty girls kept coming in and inviting my hairdresser places and uh, out for, you know, out for dinner and drinks and parties and bringing him a coffee and giving him a hug. And I thought, well, that sounds awesome. (laughs) And, you know, he would always have little water fights with the hairdresser next to him. You know, he'd take his water sprayer and turn the nozzle to stream and then shoot him when the guy wasn't looking. And I just thought this is like the greatest job I could ever imagine. So um, I went to hairdressing school and then, of course, very, very quickly realized that um, that it wasn't like this at all, <laughs> that it took many, many years for hairdressing to be fun. Um, and I kind of but I stuck it out. As you know, a lot of people leave really, really quickly mm-hmm. in the industry because it's not easy. Mm-hmm. And um, I lasted and until I actually found a mentor that turned me on and exposed me to a lot of parts of the industry that I never knew existed, like many of us didn't know existed. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was through that, that um, at, at that point through education and becoming an educator that I really, really found my calling. I was a, I was a successful hairdresser, mm-hmm. but I was kind of like, I was kind of that asshole. Can I swear? Can I? Is Go that ahead. okay? I was kind of that, I was sort of that jerk hairdresser mm-hmm. that 
typical guy, you know, chachi hairdresser. And that was me for a while. And it wasn't until I started teaching people that I really, really kind of found um, my calling. And that's how we grew our business. You know, we, my wife and I, who was a hairdresser that I started dating, um, we opened our first salon and, um, and it wasn't until we started training our own apprentices that I really, I, I kind of settled down a little bit and became sort of the beginning pathway of who I am today, which, you know, I think now I think I'm on the downward slope now that I'm in my fifties, <laughs> but I think, you know, I had a really good run between, you know, 30 and 40. I guess we but always yeah. have like a highlight reel of like years for our life, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like that. I threw that touchdown pass in high school. <laughs> yeah. I still cling to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how did you get started in salon ownership itself? Well, like every other salon owner, I thought my owner was, or my employer was an asshole. <laughs> and I thought that he, um, he didn't understand me and he only cared about money and, um, and he was never gonna help me get to where I wanted to go. And so I thought I could do it better. And I, oh, and he, you know, he was taking half the money. He was taking half my money. I was bringing all this money. He's taking half my money. <laughs> um, he's getting rich. And, uh, and um, so, there was a there was an incident where he kind of went a little bananas and he was he was in the middle of a walkout mm. he had just come through a big walkout with a lot of trusted people mm. and um have you ever been through a walkout not yet I'm it does cross fingers it doesn't happen it, but <laughs> it'll happen one day but it, it it does horrible things to you mentally yeah like absolutely horrible things to you because it's not just the walkout and it, so it's basically like for me i liken it to having you know, say you have, you lose six people in a day. Mm -hmm. It's like six of your girlfriend or your boyfriend's girlfriends mm -hmm. um, that you've found out are cheating on you mm -hmm. all at the same time mm -hmm. and are now also talking shit about you mm -hmm. and are also trying to poison the well as well. All mm -hmm. at the same time. And this is all yeah. happening. And these are people you trusted up until the day before. Yeah. And um, so he was going bananas and rightfully so. Mm -hmm. But I was incapable of having empathy for his experience. I had actually, this is a off topic, but I had actually warned him. Mm -hmm. I had a meeting with him and his partner and I told them what was happening, that three of the managers were, were conspiring against him. And these were the people that were leaving yeah. and they were doing all this while he was still sending them on trips wow. and still sending them on education. And he never believed me. And not only that, he also told them all that I had said this and they uh, all denied it. Mm -hmm. And now, now I was and dead in that salon. Yeah. You look bad in that. I look yeah. so bad. And there's still people in that equation 25 years ago that won't speak to me yeah. that I've not talked to in 25 years. And Vancouver is not that big of a city. Mm -hmm. So anyways, when this was all going down, um, my wife and I, she had a bad inf situation with him as well. So we went and opened a, our own salon. We opened our first salon and it was solely to get away from, you know, we had, this place had 50 employees in three locations and a very, very big deal salon. And it was solely to get away from all that drama. Mm -hmm. And it was about two years before I started trying to recreate it. Mm. And <laughs> it As was you inevitably the, do, right? Right. We yeah. all want to become our parents. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, we, we don't Even want we to, don't but we do. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah. We don't. But it was the weirdest thing. I had a goal. And again, this is like, you know, slightly off topic, but I had a goal for three salons and 50 staff. Mm. And I hit that. And then I stopped. And I actually, once I got there, I was like, I only got here for one reason. And that was because I, in, I had this subconscious um, feeling that that was what success meant. Mm -hmm. And um, so I got there and, uh, and then now I'm, you know, much smaller operation mm -hmm. than I was then. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so it just grew. Yeah. We, we hired an apprentice, we hired an assistant, trained them to do shampoos and blow dries and answer the phone put them on the floor and then hire another one. And eventually we grew our business from two people to 50 people in three locations and two academies. <laughs> That's pretty, pretty incredible. I think uh, there's a lot of people who they either start out with the like three chair kind of idea that that's what they want to do, or they have these big, massive dreams of being, you know, the kind of superstar salon with X amount of people, right? So it's kind of cool to hear from people who've actually been able to build it to something because I think we all try, but whether we get there or not is a whole other ballgame, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think I got there despite myself. <laughs> um, so Static was your first one, right? Yes. Yeah. So once Static was doing well, like how did you know that you were ready to open a second salon? That was a, a tough one. So we we had we had, we were on our third location of static in that we had moved. I get very impatient and I <laughs> I can't walk past a for lease sign without looking into it and kind of like <laughs> could I do a salon in here? <laughs> yeah. And and cuz I always think about well if somebody put a salon in here why couldn't I do it? Yeah. And you know some if somebody could be successful in this location like could somebody be successful and if they could why can't I? Mm -hmm. So that was always my mentality. Um I love designing salons. Mm -hmm. So by the time we had we had we were four years into the industry, we were already in our third location. And we had gone from, you know, six hundred square feet to two thousand square feet. Wow. And we had gone from a staff of six to a staff of twelve in a matter of a day from when we moved into our, our first large salon. So we grew that salon for about two years and we had built the whole thing from training apprentices. Mm -hmm. And uh the Salon was doing well. It was booming. We were, we were profitable and doing quite well. And I had all these apprentices and I had nowhere to put them. Mm. And I didn't really want to do the shift thing, the eight to, you know, yeah. I'd come from a salon that was 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. and then 3 p.m. to 10 p.m., yeah. six days a week. Yeah. And it was, it was great for him. But the industry has definitely changed a little bit. And it's hard to kind of get people to, to pigeonhole into what you want them to do. Yeah. So, we decided to open another salon. I was very much following um, Van Council in Atlanta. He was, he's one of my mentors from afar. I've met him, but I don't, he doesn't know me. Mm. But uh, <laughs> so he had opened a new talent salon okay. of full of new talent stylists. So we found a location and it had already been a salon. So the build out was, was not crazy. I mean, we had a big build out, but at least the plumbing and electrical were more or less done. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we put our new talent stylists into that salon and started building that up and it didn't do well. Uh, it actually did not do well. And we were supporting it from the profits of the first one, which is normally what happens, uh -huh. but it was, I didn't have enough of a brand name. Uh -huh. And um, 
you know, it it wasn't doing well. And not only that, the staff in that location felt very disconnected mm. from our other location because we had moved people. We had moved all of our young stylists over to that location. Mm. And we ran that for about 10 months and it was not doing well and it wasn't profitable. And, and it was, it was a bad move. And uh, suddenly the salon across the street from my main salon went under like they closed, they closed the doors, they turned off the lights and they never came back on. And it was a beautiful salon and it was literally directly across the street from us. Mm. We like, we would look, if we were having a bad, a dead day, we would be able to look over to see if they were dead as well. Hoping and as long secretly as, you know, they were dead too. Yeah, totally. And then you're like, okay, good. You know, it's not just us, right? Because yeah. then, if, you know, if it's just you, then you're like, okay, we have problems. What but are we it's doing? everybody, then the city's slow. Exactly. So they their lights went out and they never came back on so i negotiated with their landlord and i paid the guys back rent and i got into the space because i knew if somebody else went in there they were going to kill us because mm -hmm. the you know this salon had was already doing well and the last thing i needed was new new invigorated competition mm -hmm. right across the street mm -hmm. so we closed our other salon i was able to get a, i was able to sublease that space and moved all of those staff across the street and killed our new talent concept and just divided our staff between. So we divided my masters, seniors, and new talent stylists right in half. Mm -hmm. my, my wife went to one salon. I stayed in the other salon. Mm -hmm. And we were able to grow those two salons um, with the exact same formula. We grew the first. And it worked out so well. And we were making a ton of money. Wow. We were doing so well. And I had two, and that's when we opened Caramel. Okay. So I wanted to ask, like you're talking about, um, you know, taking over this place across the street. So what made you um, take over a place that was already closing, right? As opposed to, like I've read before that you never take on a stylist that already has a book. If they've been in your city, whatever, like they need to be from out of town, out of uh, country, basically, whatever, start from scratch. So why... Like, what is the reason for starting the salon that's already been built with having a clientele per se, um, and not just doing everything from from scratch? Well, we didn't we didn't take their staff. Okay, we didn't we didn't want them. Um, in fact, I think we we had we took one person because he was good friends with one of my clients. Okay, uh, he was best friends with with my client and his wife. Mm -hmm. And so he had really, cause I didn't like this guy anyway. And because uh, this salon that had closed, they were very busy. Okay, They were super busy. They were successful. It was the owner was putting everything up his nose. Ah, and um, so they, it, it was, it was a really weird self-destructive thing that mm -hmm, he did mm -hmm. because we were in there and with our own staff, without a client, without much clientele. And we were profitable from month one wow. in that location. Sure. So it, for us, it was it was uh, it was that we wanted the space. It was so beautiful. I didn't have to renovate. All I had to do was bring in my furniture from my other salon that was failing, mm -hmm. and because it was empty. But again, it was a hair salon, so I you know I just had to put in my sinks, and I was able to get the thing open within two weeks for very little money, and um, and the rent was decent. And now all of a sudden, I had maybe the most beautiful salon in Vancouver is much nicer than my other location. Mm -hmm. And it just, it boomed. Yeah. So for us, it was, it was simply, we took it because we didn't want to allow somebody else to take it. Mm -hmm. And there was a lineup of people trying to get in there. Yeah. Um, it would to, cause this salon was sort of a legendary salon in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. 
So now all of a sudden it was mine. And, um, and it worked out just absolutely fabulously for us. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we only took one person from that salon and we didn't let him stay in the salon he worked out. We moved him across the street to the other one gotcha. and we had other people asking and we didn't want him. Yeah, interesting. Um, what is What was it like juggling two salons, like going from one to uh, that second one? That was easy. Really? It was so easy okay. because my wife was there. Yeah. And I was at the other one and we had this kind of healthy competition between the two <laughs> locations mm-hmm. and it, um, and you know, they were a much nicer salon. The guy had spent a lot of money building it out mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it just, it, it was easy. It was so easy. We just crossed the street whenever we needed yeah. anything. It was just, it was nothing. Yeah. In fact, it was so easy that I opened another one on the same block <laughs> about three years later. Wow. I, so this kind of brings me to my next thing. Like, how do you spread your time between, you know, uh, all these places? I'm sure it's a lot easier, like you said, because they're across the street or on the next block, right? So it's not like you're running across town, but it's still a lot to manage when you have like staff in each place. And when you open the third, now you guys can't split the two of you into three, right? So right, yeah, like what is what's that like? Well, and at that point, my wife was also off with our baby. Mm. So I had the three. We'd open another one. Basically, this another amazing space opened in the building of our first of our static location. Mm-hmm. It was this incredible space. And I always look for a space that that I the least amount of work possible mm-hmm. to get it going. Mm-hmm. And this space was a um, it was a showroom center for an apartment building. Mm-hmm for a really high-end apartment building. So I had this incredible reception desk and and lobby area and incredible lighting because they had the fake apartments set up. <laughs> and it was the coolest salon. I had 3,200 square feet there. And, um, and it was on two levels. It was just such a killer salon. And um, at that point, I started looking for a manager. I've never hired a manager before. Mm. I've never even had a receptionist. Wow. So... We, at that point, we needed a manager. So I found uh, a young woman who, well, she was a girl. She was like 19 or 20. And she was the most incredible person. And I absolutely, I mean, I credit myself for hiring her, but I credit her for, she did, she took every idiotic idea I had <laughs> and made it, made it a reality. She, if it was really idiotic, she'd talk me out of it, yeah. but I would say, Hey, I'm thinking of doing this. Yeah. And half an hour later, she'd say, okay, I've got three options for you. Wow. She just did everything. It was the most incredible thing. So she, she absolutely helped manage everything and give me some breathing room. Yeah. But at the same time, they were still all in the same block. Yeah. So I was still able to just cross the street or just walk three doors down and be in the location. So I didn't really need to divide my time. It wasn't until we opened a salon an hour away (laughs) that that's where reality kind of came crashing in. Yeah. Well, what was that like when it was the hour away? Because I mean, that's if something's going on at that location that you need to get there for it. I can just imagine the pressure of like, ah, I have to finish what I'm doing here now and get the heck across town. Would be well, just... I was still fully booked. Like I'm still running a full book at this point. Yeah. And so when we opened that location and this, you know, it was unnecessary. We probably shouldn't have done it, but I had been looking to open an o- a location, like a plane right away. I was looking to do something in, in a town called Kelowna. Yeah. And I was really, really close. I had been flying up there 
for on weekends, we were doing so well at this point. You have to understand I was making a lot of money. And um, so I was flying up there for day trips to scout locations. And then all of a sudden we had this opportunity to take over a salon in South Surrey in a really nice kind of outdoor mall about an hour away. And I thought, you know what, let's take this opportunity and see if we can run something remote, but that we can still be at in an hour if we need to. <laughs> and so I took one of uh, one of my team, a really good employee who worked for us in Vancouver, but who lived out that way. And I made her the manager. And that was probably my first mistake <laughs> is taking somebody who I loved, who I trusted, yeah. um, who, you know, who showed up every day, who didn't have a drinking problem, did not have a drug problem, but she's probably not a manager. Mm -hmm. And um, I, she's definitely not a manager. I mean, she, she, I don't think she ever had a staff meeting Yeah, and she needed me so much. And I didn't think she needed me as much as she did. Mm -hmm. So rather than kind of help us manage the salon, she actually be, just basically became an employee over there and did not help run the salon in any way. And then yeah. kept kind of saying, well, well, you're ignoring us. And I'm like, I'm not ignoring you. You're in a position you're, you're there so yeah. that I don't have to be there. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, the, the owner of the gap doesn't have to show up at every freaking location. <laughs> you know, that's what the manager's for, yeah. but she never really got that. Yeah. And um, I, yeah, I knew that if I lost her, we would be in deep, deep trouble out there because she was really the only thing holding it together. Mm -hmm. And cause I, I just, I didn't have that much interest in doing it. It was still, I think a lot of it was based on my ego mm -hmm. and, um, and I, yeah, we sh probably shouldn't have done it. We were doing really, really well. The, the thing in business, I mean, you're either growing or you're dying and we were growing mm -hmm. and I couldn't really grow anymore in the area we were in. So I thought I better keep growing. And instead mm -hmm. what we, we probably should have done was just tried to grow the business within the salons and we right. didn't necessarily need to expand, right. but it was kind of an ego thing. And, um, and we had just opened our first school. So we were trying to make a school out there as well. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it was, uh, I don't know. It's, I mean, we're still out in that area We're we're on a third location out there wow. and the salons, we've never really been able to make the salons do well mm -hmm. because I'm not able to be there. Right. I'm just, I'm just not. Yeah. And, um, but the school does well out there and that floats the salons, but yeah, it's a, because now I have schools, it, it's that, that finance kind of helps me float the salon business. But now I'm in a position where I'm, I'm trying to do a little less as I've gotten older, you know, when I was 30 or 40, I had, I had the energy to do a six day week and do everything I needed to do. And now we're in this kind of position where I kind of don't want to, I'm enjoying my kids growing up and I, I coach my little guy's soccer team. And I, you know, it's like, I got other stuff to do that is, uh, is more important to me. Mm -hmm. And so I've, I've got to figure out how I can get my, my Vancouver location does well, but I've got to get my South Surrey location doing better. And, and, um, and it's going to require me getting my act together and doing something about it. I think it's hard once you've kind of been able to pull yourself away to bring yourself back into it. Right. That's exactly 100% it. When I had this girl who was managing things for me, um, I, I retired, mm -hmm. you know, I create, I made a blog post about four or five years ago, four years ago that I was hanging it up mm -hmm. and I stopped, mm -hmm. I stopped doing hair. I handed my clientele to somebody and, um, and I think I would show up like one day a month to mm -hmm. do hair mm -hmm. and 
it was uh it was it was really amazing for me. I I was living my absolute dream. I yeah. I think I would show up like one or two days a week to say hello and maybe to teach the odd class or something, but I had an education director and a manager and a manager in each location and um my I had people running my schools and it was really really cool until the incident. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> So what is the incident? Tell me about this. Well, there's a lot of things that kind of happened. There was, there was a, a lot of things that kind of created this. There was a lot of mistakes that I made. And first of all, when you have multiple locations, it's very, very likely that one of those locations is going to feel that they're now being ignored. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's like having children, you know, mm-hmm. there's, they're always vying for your attention. Mm-hmm. And one of my children I ignored for a long time because that was, the one that was the most profitable yeah. and they were doing so well that it was like, what do you guys need? You're in the most beautiful location. Mm-hmm. The salon is gorgeous. You're busy. You know, what do you need? Mm-hmm. Um, but I had left them alone for a long time and they started running their salon their own way. Mm-hmm. And I kind of ignored it while I was off doing other projects. And by the time I came back to that location, we had lost them. Yeah. And we couldn't do much about it because if we tried to come in really heavy handed, they, it just didn't work yeah. and we would have lost people. So we had to try to finesse them, but we couldn't finesse them. I, I actually came back and started working in that location two days a week to do hair mm-hmm. just so I could kind of try to reconnect with these people. Every one of them was, were former students of mine. Mm-hmm. They all worked in my schools. Um, they were all people that I had trained but ultimately I'd left them alone for too long. And I knew that every time I left that building, I knew they were talking shit about me. Yeah. And my wife hated it because this was a salon that she used to run. And now she just, it was just a negative energy. Mm-hmm. So we left it going for a long time until the lease ran out. Yeah. And when the lease ran out, we closed it. And uh, we probably shouldn't have, we probably should have left it going and just kept trying to bring them back because it was making money for us. It was, it wasn't making as much money as it could have been Mm -hmm. because this, these guys were dwindling. They weren't selling any retail. Uh, And it was frustrating to us to have these people that weren't on our team. But uh, in the meantime, I'd also lost my fabulous manager and I have hired three or four other managers and none of them were in her universe. And Mm -hmm. I'd had, you know, when you, when you have this experience with somebody that's so great and I love you, Courtney, if you ever listen to this, (laughs) I loved her. And then everybody else just crapped out or they couldn't handle me because I'm a lunatic. <laughs> and um, and so I just, I went through manager after manager after manager. And then when I closed this other salon, it's, it's a hard thing when you get to a certain place, there's not a lot of people that you can get advice from. Mm-hmm. You know, I, there's, there's very few people that I, that I value their opinion. I shouldn't say value. I value a lot of people's opinions, but there's very few people that have walked in my shoes and have been where I am um, in the industry. At this point, I had five locations mm-hmm. and I have my own product company and, you know, we're, we're generating millions every year. Mm-hmm. And so then when I need to close the salon, I didn't have a lot of people to reach out to. So I reached out to a guy named David Wagner. Um, I came out of the Aveda world you know, 25 years ago. And David Wagner owns multiple salons in and around Minneapolis and Hawaii. And he's a big Aveda guy. And I've never met him. And, but I just messaged him on Facebook and I said, hi, I, you know, I'm Michael Levine. You don't know me, but 
I, I'm having an issue that I think only you and a handful of other people can help me with. Mm -hmm. And um, so I explained my issue. And my issue was I need to close the salon. Um, I, there's, I don't think I can get it back anyway. So I'm going to close this salon. My problem is if I close this salon, um, I'm going to have to pay a lot of severance. A lot of these were 10 year mm -hmm. employees mm -hmm. and it'll, it'll be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars mm -hmm. that I'm going to have to pay out in severance. So I can't, I can't lay them off. I can't fire them. And anyways, sort of worked out this idea to invite them into my other salon, which is five minutes away. Mm -hmm. I had this other big location called Space. Mm -hmm. And what ended up happening, and this is where things got super weird, um, the people that I wanted to get rid of that I knew hated me mm -hmm. followed us to Space. <laughs> and the people that I wanted to come, there was only there was only three or four of them that I actually wanted, mm -hmm. uh, they didn't come. Wow. So I lost the best people and I maintained the worst people. Yeah. Yeah. And those terrible people for a couple of months were really good, mm -hmm. but eventually they infected my good, good salon location yeah. with their negativity. And particularly this one woman who I just never understood how she had any kind of charisma because she was a mediocre hairdresser. She was really negative, never sold any retail. She was not kind of a superstar. She was really kind of like schlumpy and she would sit in a staff room and just kind of be miserable. Yet she drew a crowd. I never understood how mm -hmm. I wish I could draw that crowd. I'm not charismatic at all. Um, and she drew a crowd and she eventually she had her little posse mm -hmm. and I'd see them whispering and it was the craziest thing. They'd be whispering in the salon and you'd walk into the staff room and they'd all be quiet. And this is the way it was at the other location. Mm -hmm. This is why I closed the other mm -hmm. location. And here's the thing that got really crazy in group dynamics. Everybody has to play a role. And I have figured this out a long time ago that when you fire the person who causes drama, mm -hmm. somebody else steps into the role to cause drama. Right. Because that role needs to be played. Right. It has to be played by somebody. Yeah. And you cannot get rid of those people. What you have to do is just try to maintain the balance. So mm -hmm. when these people all came over, all of my really great employees started to leave. Wow. Because the, the balance was shifting um, they, they all of a sudden felt negative mm -hmm. and it was just a really weird experience. And then, and here's now, here's where I fully have to take a lot of blame for stuff. I am really guilty of saying inappropriate things <laughs> and I have a temper and I say things that often are misinterpreted. And this is, um, you know, it, it doesn't matter what you say. It's what people hear. Yeah. And I have had people say, you said this. And I'm like, I never said that. Mm -hmm. But obviously that's the, you know, if you have a tainted opinion of somebody, mm -hmm. um, you know, whatever they say, you're going to, yeah, you're going to spin it in a negative way. Yeah. And then I also make inappropriate jokes and I'm not very politically correct. And I'm super off color and I, they're, they're, things are meant to be very self-deprecating, but they're not interpreted that way. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a very professional person. I am really professional with my clients, but I'm I'm not the best mm -hmm. at this. You know, I am not somebody to look up to as wow, this guy carries himself with class. Mm -hmm. I'm not that guy. I I hope I would like to be one day. I hope to be maybe. But anyway, so then I I realized people would hold on to these things mm -hmm. that I had just said flippantly as a joke mm -hmm. and people would say and I so basically 
you know, it's here's how it is for me. I'm kind of like um, the guy on the office <laughs> who means well, yeah, but is constantly saying inappropriate shit. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Where it's like, it's, uh, so that that's me, and I totally take blame. And I was oh, like, wow. oh my god, you've been holding on to this thing that you're you're hundred percent right. And I, I've, anyway, so I did that a couple of times <laughs> where things completely affected people. But then I've also had people say. You, sh- you shouldn't have said this. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. And they're like, but I don't want you to ever stop because I love that about our relationship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, you know, you can't have it both ways. Anyways, so at the end of the day, I am a 100% responsible for every aspect of negativity that has ever happened in my salons. Mm-hmm. I am 100% to blame and I can point the fingers at everything, but I'm the root mm-hmm. and the cause of everything that has ever happened. If you're going to take credit for your successes, you better take the blame for your failures. And I learned so much from, I had basically what ended up happening. I had three walkouts. Wow. And the first one was kind of a trickle and they all went to this one salon Mm -hmm. that was owned by this girl who used to work for us five, 10 years earlier, who I hated. (laughs) And so they all went to her salon and then they're all posting on their social media about how they're celebrating. I'm like, you worked for me for like a decade. I was so good to you for a decade. I taught you how to hold scissors. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden I'm the bad guy. And that doesn't Mm -hmm. make sense. I've never changed. I've always been this guy and I've always had the same set of rules. Um, And it, so it hurt me so much to see these people celebrating Mm -hmm. and through me, me going crazy, the way my former employer went crazy. I went a little crazy too. Mm -hmm. And that, craziness doesn't breed stability among your team Mm -hmm. so eventually we had lost out of one location we'd lost like nine people nine very senior staff and so it was like you know 90 grand in revenue a month gone just gone a million dollars a year gone crazy and it was brutal it was absolutely brutal devastating we thought we were gonna lose everything um and i i can remember i had six people left in this location that at one point had had 20 and um there's these six people and only one of the, or two of them are senior staff. <laughs> only two of them have a clientele. Everybody else is a total baby. Yeah. And I have this place that's, you know, 12 grand a month in rent. And my wife and I, we like the, the stuff that happens during this kind of thing. My relationship mm. got really weird. Mm-hmm. We'd never had these kind of issues because we were always growing, even with our stresses, excuse me. And we'd had a lot of stresses there was always this kind of growth positivity. The stress was in building a new salon and fun, exciting stuff. Exactly. Good stress and exciting stress. And, and we were traveling all over the world and flying first class, but it was, it was amazing. It was the most amazing life. And then all of a sudden our stress is, you know, we have children, we're going to, we've lost everything. We have no money. And uh, what are we going to do? And I closed one of my schools And it was just, it was this crazy, crazy experience. And it was all through this chain of events that I have to say, had it not happened, I wouldn't have learned really anything. Right. So in this really weird way, um, you know, I I still wish I didn't have to learn these things the hard (laughs) way, but in this really weird way, it was really humbling because I don't want to say I was arrogant. I still felt I was like a a pretty decent guy. I was... Mm this is when I was blogging and I had my, my, you know, speaking at shows and stuff like that. This was when we were really high up and um, 
but I didn't really, I couldn't be empathetic to other people because I never really knew what failure looked like. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden I'm be, I'm like, not just failing, but like crashing and burning overnight. And it was so humbling and brutal. And it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me, but it's, it's been really tough. We have been fighting for the last two and a half years where we're, I mean, if I showed you, you're Canadian, right? Yeah. If I showed you my T4 from the last two years, Mm -hmm. you'd, your mind would be absolutely blown. Yeah. I sold my cars. Um, I sold, I used to have a watch collection. I sold my watches yeah. and we were paying, I, we paid the mortgage for almost a year with my cars and watches. Um, and I think that my, I think I paid myself like $16,000 in yeah. 2018. Yeah. And it was, and we, we have, we're now at a point that we have a little bit of money in our business account mm-hmm. and we're re- we're kind of climbing back. And all of those people that left to that salon mm-hmm. all left but one. Wow. Yeah, it was which was kind of at least some poetic justice for us. <laughs> uh, which is why I always say if you build your business off the backs of disgruntled people from yeah. somewhere, yeah. they're gonna leave you as well. It's gonna they're be a gonna short get life. disgruntled there too, right? They're gonna yeah, find they're negative. To yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they're they're a team. You're not part of their team. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, so I wanna like you've been in business for from what I calculate, like twenty-two years now, right? Like what do you yeah. think has been the key to sticking around for that long? That's a really, really good question um, because so many salons don't. Mm-hmm. I think part of it was we did build, we built slow. Yeah. Like we, we grew quickly, but like you had said, some people with those three chair salons, mm-hmm. we built that three chair salon um, on really, really good foundations. I can't overstress, by the way, the importance of my wife in this equation. Without her, I don't, I wouldn't have been able to do any of it. I'm a dreamer kind of a guy. But she she's extremely likable. Everybody loves her. Um, she's just a wonderful, she's an amazing person. Mm-hmm. And everybody loves her. And including me. That's why I married her. And <laughs> I'd hope so. <laughs> made her have a baby <laughs> or two. Uh, and uh, so without her, there's no way. Because as I said, I'm not necessarily very likable. And I'm not very <laughs> charismatic. And, um, and it's really true. Like, I understand my shortcomings. You know, I'm a, I'm good on stage, but I'm best served in small doses. I'm a small dose kind of guy because after an hour, you'll see you get very sick of me if you're not already. And um, so because I say it like it is, but that gets old quick. And so part of it was building the foundations right in the beginning. My father was a restaurateur in Vancouver mm-hmm. and he went he went broke in in a recession in 1982, but he had several restaurants and he gave he said a few things to me, even though, you know, I. I didn't think my parents knew anything and I didn't really like my dad very much growing up. Um, He said some stuff to me that really, really stuck. And one of those things right in the beginning was you need, if you're going to open a business, you need to have enough money in the bank before you start that business to survive. If nobody walks through the door for six months, Mm -hmm. you need to be able to survive for six months without any business. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, that's pretty heavy. And that stuck with me <laughs> mm-hmm. for a long time, mm-hmm. right? Because one of the big issues with people right out of the gate is they spend too much. Mm-hmm. They spend everything they have. And then they think that if you build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. And it's not true. Yeah. There's a lot of hair salons. Yeah. So we started small. We built our first salon for 10 grand. We did a lot of the work ourselves. Mm-hmm. 
And, um, and we built up a little bit of a foundational business and we kind of kept growing slowly through this foundation. I had read business books. I read the E-Myth. The E-Myth was a big yeah. one for me. Yeah. And for anybody who's not read the E-Myth, the, you know, the, um, the Coles notes or, uh, what do they call it in the States? Cliff notes yeah. <laughs> version of it is, um, Sally loves baking pies. And so Sally decides to open a bakery. And then Sally hates baking pies and closes her bakery. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the reason is because Sally never built a business that was built on systems. Sally built a business that was based on her own love for baking pies. Mm -hmm. And so what I did was I, I took a lot of the stuff from that book, which is really basic kind of business stuff, but a lot of hairdressers, the natural progression is I'm a busy hairdresser. I'm a hot shit hairdresser. So I'm going to, next step, next progression is opening a hair salon. Yeah. And that is absolutely not the best idea for a lot of people because you have to build a business, a proper business. And, and first of all, you'd have to be an idiot to open a hair salon <laughs> straight up. It's not a profitable business. If you, if you said I have $50,000 to build out a hair salon, mm -hmm. that $50,000 would be far better spent going into a GIC, a medium performing mutual fund, that is going to give you a steady rate of 5% mm -hmm. growth, five to 6% growth mm -hmm. or buying a piece of property somewhere and just forgetting about it yeah. and maintaining it. And then going to work for somebody else and getting your, getting half your money, yeah. getting that 50% commission and enjoying your damn weekends. Yeah. <laughs> because in this industry for statistically, you're going to fail. Mm. So the big part of the reason people are failing is they're doing it based on they want too much. They're going to build this beautiful hair salon. They're spending too much money on their build out. And then they don't have enough to survive the lean times. They don't, you know, they, they have one person that promised to come with them yeah. that was going to rent a chair, but then yeah. that person chickens out. Yeah. That happened to me and my wife. Yeah. We had the, we had two different people that were going to come with us. We're like, woohoo, look at all the money we're going to be making. And they never came. Yeah. They never came. Yeah. And People will tell you a lot of things. You can't rely on people. You yeah. have to rely on systems. So yeah. it was much easier for us to build people into our own model. So we wrote a manual. And the first thing we did was with our manual was write every single thing that a client will experience when they when they have contact with us from, from when they walk through the door, from when they phone us, what will they hear? What will they see? What will they smell? Mm -hmm. What will they experience? And we wrote all this down on paper so that we had this group of systems in place. And then we started training people. And by doing it slowly, by not being super ambitious, it became something that just happened. Yeah. We had the systems in place, but it wasn't a conscious thing to grow. It was like, here's our assistant. Well, now our assistant has done her training. She wants to be a hairdresser. Let's move her into this chair. Yeah. Oh crap, we need another assistant. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, we're at six people. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, we're at 10 people. Yeah. And so by doing it that way, um, I felt it was, it was really, it worked for me. So it's really all I know. Mm -hmm. And I, when I see people who do make big mistakes, a huge part of them is they spend too much money. They are too ambitious. They are not necessarily looking at having a business. They're actually, they just want to rent chairs so mm -hmm. that they can pay their rent, mm -hmm. which is a huge mistake in my opinion. Yeah. It's a massive mistake. The amount of people that say, I want to open a hair salon, but I don't actually want to have a business. Yeah. I just want to rent chairs. Well, you should be in the business of doing hair, yeah. not being a landlord. In yeah. my opinion, yeah. in my opinion, I see the appeal, but my God, like I'd rather compete for clients than staff.
Well, and it's not easy when you're doing chair rental. Like I did that for a while. I started out as a barbershop owner and it first come first serve, no products, none of that stuff. But it was, um, yeah, everybody was chair rental. And when those people up and leave, what do you have left? And I know um, just from things I've either read from you or that I've seen in your videos, you're like, you cannot build your business on the backs of people who are there for chair rental. You, Your success is only success when you've been able to build somebody from the ground up. I I think so. Mm -hmm. I think that's I think that's real business. Mm -hmm. I think you know there's a reason that chair rental salons very often do well right away mm -hmm. and it's because they're the exciting thing but there's that means there's going to be something else coming along that's yeah. the exciting thing and then eventually your future unless you're one of a handful of like you know there's like I work closely with um, David and Alexis Thurston in Los Angeles and you know they've done extremely well and i know i know what they've done because i i talk to them all the time i know mm -hmm. how they did what they did and in a in a place like la where it's 90 percent chair rental mm -hmm. you know that's a different that's a different avenue yeah. but you know it's an entirely different experience but my feeling is you need to build culture mm -hmm. and that comes from people kind of going through a similar process yeah. i'm very often people would when i first started coming out and and doing my blog and talking people like wow you're so um people would say i was like kind of you're so revolutionary in what you're saying mm -hmm. i'm like everything i'm saying is really old school mm -hmm. like it's really old school in fact mm -hmm. i'm i'm a dinosaur <laughs> and you know you're dragging me kicking and screaming into into this i just i do the stuff that i've seen that worked and i yeah. i kind of i'm grateful for coming out of the aveda culture mm -hmm. because having people buy into your systems and and drink the kool-aid i mean the first four letters of culture are cult that's what you need and you don't get that from individuality you yeah. get that from people being part of a team yeah so that's what i bet i believe in is having common knowledge and having people you know we did uniforms we did we yeah. did all sorts we tried so many different things yeah. I, um, for a long time, I never thought about trying to hire people, uh, in the team, right? Cause I, I just want to be a landlord. You guys do your own damn taxes. I want nothing to do yeah. with it. But then I went and I did this training program and they were just like, no, the worst thing that you can really do, well, maybe not the worst thing, but you are a landlord. You have no say over what's going on in your business when somebody's just a chair rental, right? Like if you want to be able to create something lasting, you really do have to have systems. And the only way you can keep people accountable to systems is if they're your employees. And that kind of changed the game for me. Cause as I said, I was good with other people dealing with their own taxes. Like for sure, I don't want to be responsible for anybody else's shit. Right. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I wanted to be able to create something that was going to have a consistent uh, feel for the clients, right? And the only way to get there is to have them actually on your team where you can you can control it, you know, or lack of a better word. It's all about having control of your own business. Well, even when I break, even when I hired the one guy who had a clientele mm -hmm. from my from the salon that we had taken over, I couldn't get him to buy into any of what yeah. we were doing. Yeah. None of it. He wouldn't do anything. Yeah. So you know, his, his clients were his clients and, you know, by hiring somebody with that book, it's, it's not that different than hiring a chair renter. Mm -hmm. Very few of them are going to be able to, are going to be in a position where they want to embrace what it is your system is. Mm -hmm. You have to be killing it for somebody to join your team and embrace it. So often owners, they look at a new employee or somebody with a book and they're like, this person is going to bring us all this money. Yeah. 
And that is such the wrong attitude. You have to flip it and say, this person is blessed to have an opportunity to to sit with us. Mm -hmm. And if you can't say that, if you can't say anybody who works here is blessed to be a part of this team, then you're not working hard enough as an owner. And, and I know with my, my salons, you know, the older a salon gets, you need to renovate, you need Mm. to do all these things. And I'm looking around at my salon going, Oh my God, we got to sink some money into this place (laughs) because the the script is starting to flip. And my busy stylists um, are now starting to say, well, what's he doing? Yeah. You know, we need to update these things. And it's, uh, you, it's, you got to constantly keep that balancing act of, of, they need to be there um, because you are benefiting them, not the other way around. Yeah. yeah. Um, so tell me, you kind of touched on it, but how many salons have you had you know, like since you started in the 20, 22 years? We, I counted, I think we were at 11, that we've opened 11 different locations. Wow. So how many right. or, sorry, go ahead. No, go on. Uh, well, right now we have two locations. Yeah. Where, so in my South Surrey location, it's, it's a, they're both, they're each location is about 2,500 square feet. Mm-hmm. And my South Surrey location is really cool because it has a central lobby and then a salon on one side and a school on the other side. Oh, cool. So it's really, really neat. And then we run our academy out of our Vancouver location. As I told you, mm-hmm. we lost a lot of staff mm-hmm. and it takes a long time to build people the way I build people. Yeah. So we closed our freestanding school in Vancouver and moved it into the salon and only three days a week. Uh. And then I pushed all my stylists. I have a couple of people that work Tuesdays, but I pushed all my stylists into a Wednesday to Saturday because mm-hmm. everybody in my company works four days a week anyways. Mm-hmm. And we have 20 stations. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to um, get the revenue in from the school without having the rent yeah. as well. So I'm running an academy and a salon out of both locations, which mm-hmm. is great. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's freed up a lot of cash. And um, so, yeah, we're basically running four businesses out of two locations. Wow. So of the places that are still around and the ones that are not, what do you think uh, was the difference between them? I think location was, was key, Mm -hmm. first of all. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, good neighborhoods become bad. Yeah. You know, and, and not great neighborhoods become hot if you're smart. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we've had some really, really good neighborhoods. We've also invested in bad neighborhoods that Mm -hmm. we thought were going to get better. And for various reasons, they didn't. Mm -hmm. So we, right now, I think, you know, we have one really great neighborhood, but the one in Vancouver, the problem is it's, it's such a great neighborhood that it's constantly under construction Uh. and all of the buildings around me have been leveled and then being rebuilt. So right now I'm in the middle of, there's like an eight, there's half the block is, is under construction, which kills us. Yeah. It's absolutely brutal. Yeah. So that's been a tough one for us in our good location. And the rent just keeps going up because the city of Vancouver is killing us with property taxes. And then my other location, um, basically the location, the rent has to make sense for the walk by traffic. Mm-hmm. And um, we had this location that was, you know, high rent, but there was no walk by traffic and it just didn't make sense. So mm-hmm. we've always tried to be in a place that had good parking for clients in South Surrey. It's very much car culture mm-hmm. and everybody drives them. The time you're 16, you get a car and you drive. Mm-hmm. And in Vancouver, it's the exact opposite. It's very much about transit. Yeah. So we are trying to be, you know, a suitable place for, for people who drive in South Surrey and a place in transit in Vancouver. So we have, we have pretty good locations right now. I would definitely say, you know, 
signage is a really, really important thing. And there's nothing cool about being tucked away mm-hmm. that nobody can see you. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be a secret yeah. in this industry. And for a long time, I did want to be a secret. I thought we're going to be that cool salon. This was actually um, Ted Gibson in New York as a friend of mine. And he um, he had the salon, his, his big New York salon was you had to take an elevator up to it. Mm-hmm. And it was this tiny little elevator that could fit like two people. And then the elevator opened into the salon. And it was the coolest thing. And I thought, you know, for me, that's like, that is so cool. And I almost opened a salon like that because I, so often I look at the people that I looked up to and mm-hmm. I was like, he has this, so I should have this. And it's like I said, with my three location thing. So I had this location ready to go and it's, the elevator opens into it and it'll, the elevator opens to the reception desk and I was just about to rent it. And then we we decide, okay, no, we're going to get on the ground floor with good signage where walk-by mm-hmm. traffic sees us. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I make a lot of bad choices anyways. <laughs> but um, traffic is a really, really important thing. People mm-hmm. need to be able to see what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, there's nothing cool about being hidden. When you're talking about Ted Gibson there, I'm sure going in his elevator up to God knows what floor and it opens up. The fact that he's, what, charging $1,500 a haircut and he can do it, you know, with this not ideal um, salon makes it kind of like, oh, well, if he can do it, maybe it's possible, right? Like, But <laughs> then fast forward, fast forward. Like and he's not years. there anymore, right? No. Yeah. And you, he didn't close that salon because it was doing well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I know so he's down in California in now. now yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen the new place, but it looks really cool. And I like what he's I like what he's doing with it. It's, it looks really, really like very yeah. ingenuitive. But yeah. that was the other thing. Like, you know, just and Ted was, you know, I I've made a blog post about this as well with with Ted. Like when if you see somebody like Ted who is crushing it, and Jason, his husband as mm-hmm. well, and they're they're amazing hairdressers and they're struggling, then you know, you realize, okay, things are not always what they seem. Mm -hmm. And for me, one of the big things that I've always done is I don't need to be the most successful person in the room. Mm -hmm. And I've always tried to elevate my team. And I think one of the, and I I think Nick Arojo does that quite well as well, where yes, his name is on the door, Mm -hmm. but ultimately he's, he's really trying to build his team. Mm -hmm. Um, The flip side of that is at the end of the day, people are going to leave you. And you're, you're going to stay. So it's this kind of balancing act. Like if you build somebody too much, mm-hmm. then it's a re- God, it's really hard. <laughs> Our industry has got to be harder than any other industry. Yeah. yeah. It really truly is. Yeah. You know, when it comes to going a restaurant industry, which is traditionally considered the hardest industry, all you have to do is have a really great location with really great service and produce a really great product with food. Mm-hmm. The hair industry I don't care who you are, your client, if somebody leaves you, your clientele is going to fall or a chunk of them is going to follow you yeah. and your the business is going to lose people. Yeah. And most businesses can't hand, can't take it because the industry is so barely profitable anyways. Yeah. The reason when I was saying I was making so much money back in the day, the reason was it wasn't that my profit margins were over 10%. They weren't. Mm-hmm. It was just I was doing so much volume that mm-hmm. if I'm doing $3 million, then my 10% profit after I'm getting paid is 300 grand. And that's pretty damn good yeah, yeah. in the hair industry. Yeah. But I'm not, you know, still having to take into account that I'm pretty stretched thin, that I'm, yeah. that I'm make, only making 300 grand on 3 million. Yeah. And 300 grand is not that much money every year. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it, but it, it felt like it at the time and it allowed me yeah. to live an amazing life and, you know, buy a really great house and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's still only 10%. And yeah. and I was one of the 
you know, the 1% in the industry that makes 10%, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. everybody else is making three to 5% if they're profitable. Mm-hmm. And that means, you know, two, one or two of your top staff leaves and you're screwed. Yeah. And especially in this industry, and this is where when I meet people who started out the way I started out, who don't have ambition to, for doing something bigger, that in if you're in business, you have to be thinking about growing. And I always I do the math of it this way. If you're going to open a four chair salon and one person leaves, you've mm-hmm. just lost 25% of your staff. Yeah. Now, if I have a, you know, a, a 20 chair salon and I lose 25% of my staff, that's five people leaving. That's, that's absolutely devastating. Mm-hmm. Well, if you lose one, my God. Yeah. And this is what the life cycle of these guys that that say, I just don't want any drama. I just want a five-chair salon. I just want my rent to be paid. I'm going to pocket my own money that I make from behind my chair. They're going to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. Everybody's going to be happy. No drama. Well, good here's luck. what's going to happen. Well, yeah. It, and it's good. It will be. It could be good for a little while, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you're going to get old. And, and your client's going to get old with you. Mm-hmm. And you're no longer going to be cool. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon your staff are going to leave for various reasons, whether it's pregnancy, moving away, because the the industry is mostly women. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to put a sign up that says chair for rent, Mm -hmm. which is the tackiest thing in the world, or stylist with clientele wanted, which is equally as tacky. And now the people that are looking at you fast forward 20 years are now going, well, why do I want to work with you? You're old and not cool. Like I'm not cool. I'm, I am not, I was barely cool 20 years ago. (laughs) I'm certainly not cool today at 50. And this is why you need to constantly be developing young talent Mm -hmm. because my salon, you go into my salon, everybody is under 30 other than a handful of people. And I need that young clientele. The client, this clients don't know who I am. Yeah. You know, I'll go up and say hi to somebody and be like, who's this lame old guy? It's like, my name's on the door. Like, I thought I was a big deal. You have to constantly be developing these young talent to keep your salon young. And if you want this no drama salon of you and four well played, you're going to be a bunch of old people and your salon's going to suck. And then what's going to try to have or what you're going to do is try to sell your salon Mm -hmm. and realize that it's worthless. And this is where a young guy like me comes in and I pick up your salon for nothing and make it cool again. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a really devastating life cycle in this industry if you're not constantly working to keep fresh. That's something I didn't know in the beginning, um, or I didn't consider in the beginning was like every example that I had had was somebody who'd been in it for years, and not until you know somebody told me uh, told me about this and I got to take that step back did I realize that like oh yeah every single client they have is in their same demographic. So what happens to these people when they're done and gone? Like what happens to this business? You can't sell it if half your client has died, half your client list has died. Totally true. (laughs) You know, like you have to have new people coming up so that you can stay relevant and those new people help your business stay relevant, right? 100%. I had one of my staff say to me the other day, like I travel around, I do shows for Pulp Riot, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, half i would say at least half of what i do is gray coverage yeah that's what i do yeah but 20 years ago that wasn't what i was doing 20 years ago i was doing all the cute girls Mm -hmm. but those cute girls are now all gray and a lot of them have stayed with me Mm -hmm. for sure Mm -hmm. but we're we're getting old together and the young people don't sit in my chair because young people want to sit with somebody who's young and cool who understands what they're talking about Mm -hmm. i can still have a little bit of star power with some people in my salon but one of my staff said it's like you know with all due respect michael (laughs) I I can't just sit back and watch you do a great coverage if I want to learn from you. Right. Right. And it's like, yeah, I'm doing photo shoots and I do all these things, but that's not my daily stuff. Mm-hmm. My daily stuff is 
a clientele that has some money mm-hmm. that has gotten older with me and what ends up happening. And we, we, it's funny. We just actually had one of my staff. She just got a letter on Friday from one of her clients, a uh, kind of like, it's been a great run. Um, thank you so much for doing my hair. Mm-hmm. But, and it didn't explain why, but she called the client and the client's retiring. And the last thing the client wants to do is spend 120 bucks on her haircut. Yeah. At this point, now all of a sudden she's thinking, okay, I'm going to be alive for the next 30 years or 20 years. I have to start budgeting. And that's happened with so many of my clients where, you know, they're now, they're at that age. And uh, it's a weird one. You're going to get old. Your clientele is going to get old with you. So you better be, as you said, replenishing with with young people and young staff. Like I, we work very hard to stay cool. Yeah. And it's not easy. It's not an easy thing. We do um, the BC Lion cheerleaders. We do all of their hair for free in exchange for season's tickets, which are, I'm pretty sure you can get tickets to a Lions game with a, with a big gulp at 7-Eleven. Um, it's like two free tickets. But, um, but anyways, it means that I always have a young, cute girl with, with long hair, getting her hair done and then getting her picture taken for Instagram in the salon. At all times, there's a, some young hot girl in the salon. Yeah. You know, just we're, we're always doing little things to try to get people in. We have model days and, you know, reaching out to people to, to have, you know, like attracts like and, and you got to get like. When most people would have given up by now, what is it that keeps you in it? Because you've survived a lot of different things, you know, the openings and the closures. So what keeps you in it? For the, when we started having our drama like two years ago, um, I really, really asked myself that and I have no marketable skills and I am, I, I full, full disclosure. And I've not even talked to my wife about this. I was looking seriously at what can I do? Yeah. Um, I'm, how do I, I'm fairly intelligent. I'm mm-hmm. a fairly bright guy, but I'm not that, I'm not bright for, for the real world. I have mm-hmm. no college education. I, mm-hmm. I'm a, a bit of, I'm just a little bit street smarty and I have some business smarts, mm-hmm. but I am, I have no skills mm-hmm. and I'm, I don't know what else I could do. This is it. This is it for mm-hmm. me. Also, my ego says that I need to still somehow maintain this thing that I've built for myself, which mm-hmm. I like it. I like yeah. going on stages. I like when people come up to me and say something positive about, you know, if I've influenced them in some way, I really don't have a lot going on. And, Mm -hmm. um, and and now, especially now that I'm in my fifties, I'm going to be 51 in, uh, in a week or so and 51, 51 in a week or so. And, um, I'm like, okay, I look at all those 70 year old hairdressers out there that are still trying so hard to, to stay relevant. And I just think, my God, that is my future. I need to get my act together and get back to where I was financially to be able to provide for my family because I'm going to get old. Um, I'm not going to be able to do this behind the chair for very long. That's why I don't have any other choice. You know, I've also built up a lifestyle um, that certainly my wife and I have, we are very, very low key with how we live. And my wife is the most low key person in the world. Um, she's amazing that way. She's not a spender in any way. She's like the cheapest person in the universe. Um, and I love that. She hates when I spend and which I, she's got me in check. Cause I would have been bankrupt three times by now. Keep it in balance, right? It's amazing. I'm so blessed to, to have somebody that keeps me in check like that. But, um, it's literally out of necessity. I have no choice. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's terrifying. That's, you know what? I me too, because there are some times where, you know, where the business is struggling a little bit and you're like, okay, so what would I do, you know, outside of this? And I went to I did a stint in college, you know, and I didn't even finish the program. And then I went into hairdressing. So this really has been my career and the only certification, the real thing I have a skill in. Right. And that that in itself is scary being like, what the hell comes next if this doesn't work? Right. So, which is great because necessity is the mother of invention. Oh, it'll push you to succeed if you have nothing else to. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Because a lot don't. Right. And we've we've all seen them. You know, and the I think it's one of the becoming an old hairdresser has got to be one of the hardest things there is. The amount of them that I've met that have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder because they were maybe relevant to at some point. Yeah. And um, and I've met so many of them that have tried through them trying to sell their salons. And it's boy, it's a tough one. And I think for me, you know, I just we just had a, a school closed down where it was run by a fairly well-known hairdresser and the it can be, it's such a brutal industry that can chip away at your, your positivity. And it, I, I personally gravitate towards the youth. And, but I also, you know, I look to the people like David Wagner or Robert Chromians or Nick Arojo or, um, or Ted, or the people that are all my age that are still doing it and have, have managed to reinvent themselves. Like Nick Arojo has reinvented himself. You know, if, if you think about it, you know, people will say, well, he had the TV show. The TV show was a long ass time ago. And I can ask <laughs> any of my, none of my staff other than the ones who've been doing hair for 10 years know who he is. Yeah, right. Yeah. So he's having to still be relevant. And it's Nick is a really prime example because the only people who knew him from the show, they're all old now too. Yeah. Right. So the fact that Nick is constantly reinventing himself um, and pushing forward that Robert Chromians has had crushing defeats in walkouts. Yeah. Go to go down to California. Every cool hairdresser you meet worked at Chromians at one point. And, um, you know, these guys, the fact that they keep plugging away, I look at these guys as kind of my heroes. And that keeps me inspired. Working with David and Alexis with Pulp Riot keeps me inspired because it allows me to stay relevant with a younger crowd and, um, you know, and, and to do shows and to do this kind of stuff. I got to tell you that creatively, I don't know. Had had that not come into my life and I'd gone through the drama that we've gone through over the last two years, thankfully the two things happened at almost the same time. That that positivity of, you know, going to Europe and doing hair and and um doing these shows with young hairdressers and reinvigorating my my skill set too has been really powerful for me. And I don't know, I don't know. I think I'd have a very, very different life right now. Um, had I lost everything and then also not had that to keep me up, which, yeah, yeah I've not really thought about it too, too much. I have said it yeah. to my wife where she's like, yeah, we, why are we doing another show? And it's like, if I don't do the show, like what else, what else do I have? You know, yeah. especially now where our business is struggling. So I don't know. It's, it's a, this industry is brutal and it's going to be brutal for everybody unless you do things right. So stop looking at the people around you because chances are they're doing it wrong and start to look to the handful of people like Van Council who just opened another salon. Do you, do you know Van? Do you know who Van is? I've heard of him. Yeah. I've heard it's of Van him. Michael salons in Atlanta. And I think he's got a couple in Japan. He's got like 20 in Japan that have franchised his name. He's like the coolest guy in the universe. And you know, those are the guys that we need to be looking at going, okay, if we can just have an inkling, what's that? 
obviously done something right. Yeah. So that formula is there, but I mean, it's, it's harder now, now than ever to do it. Um, so what do you think is, uh, what do you think are the signs, uh, for when people should call it quits? If you're just sinking money into it and making sacrifices and not seeing, not seeing a plan for a light at the end of the tunnel, if you don't have a plan to say, okay, I'm going to make these sacrifices for this long. And then by then we should be here. If you don't have a plan and if you're just sinking money and to keep it, uh, keep it going without changing what's going on, you're dead. So you're better off. Here's the biggest thing that people struggle with. There's no shame in walking away. You have to understand there's no shame. You have to, the amount of owners, we had two Tony and guys in Vancouver. They went, they went, they closed and the staff were really bitter at the, at the franchisee. They were angry at him. And it's like, you've ruined my life. It's like, he's the guy who's taking all the risk here. You guys are going to go down to another salon and yeah, you can have some bitterness, but at the end of the day, he's got a mortgage to pay. He's, he's going to have to exist. And this is what I always kind of keep. It's like, at the end of the day, I can only give so much. I have to look in the mirror and say, I have to survive as well. So if, if you're going to deplete everything you have in order to keep a business afloat, without having a, a, some light at the end of the tunnel, stop, quit while, you're, quit while you're ahead and cut your losses and get out. And if that means breaking a lease, get out, break your lease, do it. Um, if there's light at the end of the tunnel, if you're just going through a rough patch and things will be okay. And if you can see that, if you're like, I just, I have this opportunity in a couple of months or this is going to happen um, or we're slowly rebuilding, great. The main thing that you got to do is you have to be able to have a business that has a degree of walk-in clientele because you're always losing clients no matter what's going on. You're losing people. You have to be replenishing. So if your trend is down, 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 you're probably, you probably need to get out before you have nothing left. Um, how do you get out though? That's the thing that's so difficult. You have to the the main mentality of of becoming a salon owner is you have to try to create a sellable business. And if you don't create a sellable business, you have no chance in selling your business. And people often think I'll sell my salon and nobody sells a salon. Nobody sells a salon. It, it maybe, maybe you might get $20,000 for your salon. Your salon is worth the used furniture that's in it. That's it. You know, especially if, if you have built it with you as the main breadwinner, if you've built up a big team and everybody's making a ton of money, you might have a chance, but your best chance is to sell it to employees so that the, the situation doesn't change too much. You bring in another owner. What you don't know as a, as a salon owner is half your staff are already planning on leaving no matter what. Even if things are going well, people are exploring their options. You know, it's an internet age. People don't even have to work to explore their options. So there are people who potentially have one toe out the door right now. And, you know, that you selling your salon is going to tip the scale, probably. And most new salon or, or most people are looking to buy a salon know this. Like, I would never buy a hair salon. Never. <laughs> I, I've only ever purchased one. And it was because I wanted the location really really badly and that's the only salon i was ever able to sell as well because it was in a great location i think i took a twenty thousand dollar loss on it 
but that's the only salon I've ever been ever, ever been able to sell. And I sold it to a massive salon company. Had they not come in to buy it, I probably wouldn't have been able to sell it. You have to think there's not that many people in a position to buy another salon anyway. So your business is not sellable. And so you've got to kind of look at it that way as well. If you're thinking, I'm going to sell it, first of all, your time to sell it is when it's at its most profitable. And our problem is as owners, when we're at our most profitable, we want to open another location. Whereas if you look at, well, I, I look at Pulp Riot. I look at the Thurston's. They built their color company up and sold it. They sold it as it was going up. That's when you're supposed to sell a business. People need to like watch Shark Tank. The deals that- buy, buy high, uh, buy low, sell high. Well, the, the people on Shark Tank, you'll often see them say, wow, what are your numbers? And they'll say the numbers. And then they say, well, how long have you been in business? And the guy says like eight years. What are your numbers last year? And the numbers last year were low. And it's like, wait, you're, you've already crested and now you're coming down. Nobody's going to buy on the down. You've got you've to sell on the up. But our ego doesn't allow us to. Because most of us who open hair salons are not business people. The whole thing is to feed our ego. So it's a really, really tough one. So um, when I did my seminar on, on when to get out, get out as while there's as much money still there as possible. And it's, if you can see the writing on the wall, get out because your team is not necessarily going to be loyal to you long-term anyway. Some will for sure. And they'll be devastated. But at the end of the day, you have to be loyal to yourself um, and to your family and to, to walk away with as much, you know, as much kind of breathing room as possible. If you waited until the very, very last second, and now you've got no breathing room, you're in trouble. And then, you know what, this is the thing. This is what half of divorces are financial based where people are struggling. And, and I know for me, my wife and I, our biggest issues were, were during this period where we were struggling financially. And thankfully we've kind of gotten through that, but it's a, it's just a devastating thing in your entire life. So get out while you can cut your losses, keep your options open. Hopefully you've got some options. And what I would say when you're looking at getting out of your business is break your lease and just tell your landlord, you have no money and you're not going to pay them. And there's a really, really good chance you're not going to get sued. Yeah. There's a really good chance. And that was my yeah. biggest thing. I um, I asked an uncle of mine who is a business person. I said, here's where I am. If I carry on for three more months, I'm going to have literally nothing. Mm-hmm. And he said, tell, cancel your rent checks and tell your landlord you have no more money and you're not going to pay him and just see what happens. So I think I had about six months left on the lease at, you know, 12,000 a month. So 70 grand. And I was able to negotiate what I owed for $25,000 instead of the 70. And had I tried to be an honorable person and carry on my end of the lease, I would have been 70 grand in the hole as opposed to 25 grand in the hole. So the worst thing that happens is, um, you know, you have a little bit of shame in not holding up your end of the bargain. I'm, I, I hold myself as a very honorable person to a fault. And, um, you know, to hearing that from somebody that I respect as an honorable person saying, look, it's business. There's yeah. you, you can be honorable to the people around you, but at the end of the day, you have to be respectful of, of yourself. And that was, that was a good one for me. Um, so that's the first person you want to burn when you're closing your salon, by the way, is the landlord. <laughs> they probably have deep enough pockets that they can afford it. Never burn your staff. Pay, oh, pay for your me, people. This, I can never understand that people, um, you know, they'll be struggling and the last people that they ever pay is the staff. And I'm like, first of all, 
if you don't have staff, you're not going to make any money, which is going to help you pay the rent and take care of everything else. Like the people you need to take care of is the staff, right? So it like that always boggles my mind that they'll screw them over first. Yeah. And it's so, it's so sad because these are people who are often living check to check and they will, what ends up happening is very often they'll go their final month, not knowing that the salon is about to close. They'll go their final month working and then they don't get paid. And it's absolutely devastating to these guys. So those are the people that I will never, ever burn as my my team, the people that yeah. have stood beside me, ever. But I'll, yeah. I'll absolutely burn the landlord. I'll absolutely burn Visa if I can. <laughs> yeah. They can afford it. Yeah, like, I ain't going to pay you. Sorry, I ain't going to pay you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what do you think has been uh, your biggest success as a uh, salon owner? I think my biggest success is... Um, is a lot or not allowing, but creating an opportunity for people to, to make a living through hairdressing. And I hope that I have, I've helped people. Um, I hope that I've helped people see how amazing this industry can be. And I have trained hundreds of people in Vancouver. I've had hundreds of employees over the years and I hope I've impacted them in a positive way. I look back at that first salon owner that went crazy. And a couple of years after I opened my first salon, I went and I found him. I kind of parked my car in front of one of his salons and I waited for him to come out and, and then pretended that I just bumped into him. And then I, I apologized to him and I thanked him. And I just said, I didn't understand everything. I do understand everything now. And I have a little bit of perspective, just a little bit of perspective as to what you were going through. And I just want you to know that I, that I'm grateful. And I hope that at the end of the day, even with my formers who think I'm an asshole, I hope that some of those people will look back. Legacy is everything to me and legacy is, it does not last very long. You know, as I said, Nick Orojo, when I ask my students, none of them know who he is. None of them know that Vidal Sassoon exists. Is They don't even know it as a brand anymore because the brand doesn't exist anymore either. At least he had a resurgence 10 years ago. Um, so if Sassoon doesn't have anything lasting, I all I want to do is impact the people that have had an experience with me in a positive way. Hopefully they're going to have negative too. That's the way relationships go. But I hope that sometimes people will be able to have some perspective and look back and say, I had an amazing um, opportunity that guy trained me or, or even if it's, if I'm doing a seminar, I just want to impact people in some kind of a positive way and have left an impression, hopefully positive. Um, But at the end of the day, really my biggest success is, is, um, you know, trying to teach my children to be, you know, valuable um, members of society assets to the world. That's what I'm, really trying to do. And, uh, and I kind of put a little bit of that with my team as well. That's kind of so. It. That brings me to my next thing is like, what do you hope your kids kind of retain from this experience of watching mom and dad go through salon ownership? Um, they're, they're a little bit young. So we, it's been a tough one. We're a very vocal family, my wife and I, and, uh, we communicate with a lot of loud talking. And, uh, <laughs> so, I think it's something that we work on is, is really like trying hard not to, but my kids experience a lot with us Mm -hmm. and um, you know, positive and negative. We're very, very strict. We're extremely strict. And it's, it's sort of a lot of the things we've learned as salon owners are very much how we, 
kind of raise our kids because the team that we raise, I mean, I've, I've got people who start with me at 16 years old in my salons and, um, we just really, really, we try to teach people and it's the same as parenting. We just try to teach people to be an asset into, yeah. to the people around them, just to be, to be valuable and helpful and, um, and to contribute and put in as much effort as possible. I don't care anything about failure. I only care about, um, integrity and effort and being honest in, in your efforts. And that's, that's the big thing that we try really, really hard as parents and as salon owners, um, you know, I had somebody the other day who, one of my staff who absolutely just terrible screw up, terrible screw up. And, you know, you know, we, it cost us a lot of money and refunds and new hair. And it's like, okay, well, rather than, you know, 20 years ago, I probably would have been really upset and I would have raised my voice. And now I'm like, it's cool. I got your back. Like, what did you learn? What did you learn Shit from happens. this? Yeah. It happens to all of us. You know, and I think that's my big thing is to try to be a little bit more nurturing. And I just, you know, I, I hopefully everything is a, you know, because I've had such crushing failures as well and mistakes that it's like, all right, have you learned anything? Instead of getting, you know, too upset about things, life is short. I, I, I'm really working very hard to be a little bit more positive with the people around me. And that's always easier said than done, right? Yeah, it is. Especially I'm a hothead. I like, I lose my mind so quick. I I'm really reactive and, uh, learning to not be so reactive and yeah, it's a tough one, but it's, I, uh, as I said, like I've learned everything, everything I have, I've learned through salon ownership and hairdressing and, and, and maintaining a clientele because let's face it, every single person who, who works behind the chair, that is a business, a micro business within the business. Um, you know, there's, uh, Sadly, he passed away recently. Um, but uh, a hairdresser that I very much looked up to um, in Atlanta, who just like literally like three or four months ago passed away. I went in on a seminar that I sat in on with him and it was called the, I believe it was called the six by six stage. And he talked about the, what your client experiences when they look in the mirror, that you have 100% control over okay. what they experience. And, and, you're in charge of that performance and it's about creating the perfect performance. And it was a really, really powerful thing for me. And I just, I hope hairdressers, I, I want to teach them that they have so much control and um, over what that, that experience is for that client. And, and it, I guess it all comes back to accountability in, in, you know, taking credit, taking blame and creating the most positive experience for, for the client around them. And if you do those things, right every good things happen, you know? And, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it's such a, it's such an incredible industry. It really truly is. No, I completely agree with that. Um, do you have any tips for anybody who's wanting to jump into the salon industry or into salon ownership? Into salon ownership. Yeah, absolutely. Have a plan. Don't do yeah. it just because you don't do it because you, um, don't do it just for the sake of doing it. You know, if you're, if you have like real valid ideas and if you're going to do something different, absolutely do it. If you're just going to be part of the pack and you're not yeah. going to invest heavily as far as your energy and your thought, um, don't do it. It's a, it's a really, really challenging business and there is statistically you will fail. Yeah. So if you're going to do it, come at it from, you know, when you're, where are you? What city? In you're in Ottawa. Um, for me, I looked at restaurant chains 
when I was looking at salon ownership, I, I looked at companies like the Cactus Club. I don't know if you have them in Ottawa. I think I've, we might have something like it. You're going to be getting it soon, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but I look at these guys, like how do they, how do they have consistent ability to, you know, perform at a very high level, have staff that look great, um, you know, are creating a consistent experience for their customer. I very often look at hotels and restaurants as far as when I'm thinking about my systems, um, because most salons are not necessarily, you're not able to get um, really, really good inspiration from salons because most salons don't do it right. And even if they are doing it right, very often they're going to be at the end of that life cycle that we talked about. You have to build, you have to, even if you never really want to, you have to build your business like you're going to be a big deal. And I think that's the main thing is, is build it so you can sell it. So if selling it, if you sell your business, you're not going to be involved in it, right? Because you're going to sell it. You have to build it to be successful without you, which is what I was very much, I was very close to doing that. And, you know, maybe one day I'll get back to it again. I hope so. But when I had a really great manager, I was very close to kind of getting to that place um, where I had something that was self-sustaining that didn't need my revenue, but that's what you really need to do is get something, build up the people around you, keep building, um, you know, and keep, keep maintaining these high standards. It's don't just simply don't do it. If you want to be mediocre, it just won't work. No business does well being mediocre. Look at all the salons where that were the hot salons in your city 20 years ago and see where they are today. And there may be one or two, that are still yeah. doing it, but the rest of them are probably struggling if they exist at all. And that's going to be your path too. Like, don't be so arrogant to think that you're going to be better than that. Cause yeah. there's been a lot of really good people before you. So it's a very, very challenging thing. I think in Vancouver, there's only one salon company that has maintained growth and, and they've been around for like 40 years. There's only one. Wow. Yeah everybody else is gone. And I, and I, you know, for a while I was one of the big guys and now I'm like, okay, you know, I fell into that as well. And I, I didn't, I never thought I would, but I did. I think it's hard not to, right? Like you said, there's always going to be the new upcoming, we talked about it as new upcoming stylist. Well, there's going to always be that new upcoming salon, right? Totally. hundred so. percent. Yeah. You are not going to be cool. So you got to maintain your cool, but that, I mean, that's not, that's not really what your business model should be, but I definitely think it's about the youth for sure. You've got to, you've got to be bringing in young talent all the time and, and helping them and mentoring them. And for me, I, I really enjoy teaching. That's become a big part of it. So I would definitely say as a salon owner, you have to teach. Yeah. Share. No, that is. That is a lot of really great tips. And uh, I think like the whole purpose of this podcast is really just to try and help people who are new to learn kind of like, okay, what can I do? How can I set myself up right from the get go uh, to be successful and maybe last a little bit? If you're not going to last for, you know, 30 years, maybe I get 15 or 20 out yeah. of that, right? Because gotten a lot of the good information right off the bat. And be right? smart so, with your money. Like when, yeah. when things are good, don't blow it. Invest, yeah. you know, yeah. buy a house, do something. Yeah. But when things are good, don't buy, don't buy the car. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I did that yeah. with the car thing. And the, you know, it's, I did, I had a Range Rover and an Audi and, you know, <laughs> and, and I, had, I had two cars like for me and yeah. it's like, Oh, I think I'll take the Audi today. And, mm -hmm. uh, and they're gone now, man. I got to get rid of that stuff. Those is, you know, now I just have a truck and yeah. uh, it's, I don't know. All of that stuff. None of that stuff matters. Don't do the material kind of thing. Take, take the window that you have. If you're, if you're doing well, 
statistically, like I said, you're not going to be doing well in 30 years. So yeah. take that window and don't blow it. Yeah. Strike while the iron's hot and do really, really good things with that opportunity as opposed to doing, you know, as opposed to, you know, buying a Louis Vuitton bag, <laughs> which I have. <laughs> I mean, I think we all want it because we think it's going to last forever, right? Yeah. So let me add this and that, the next thing. Exactly. Yeah. But that, you know, that $2,500 bag is going to pay your rent in a couple of years. Yeah. Though. Exactly. Well, this has been such an awesome, awesome interview. Like I am so glad that we got to chat today. I think you have given so many great tips and points. And I just love hearing everything directly from your experience, right? So thank you again so much for doing this today. It's been so awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I, I really, really appreciate it. It's it's again, it's another opportunity to try to stay relevant. that's awesome I hope you enjoyed listening in and learning about Michael if you like what you heard please don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with your friends do you want to or do you know someone who should be featured on a future episode of the biz behind beauty well you can just shoot an email over to kelly at bizbehindbeauty.com to apply thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you next week